And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in today. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So it's always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray again. Father, as uh, we come before you this morning, this is a time where we want you to speak to us through your word. We want you to be the one that is heard this morning. Father, though they are, are my words that they will hear, I'm asking that, uh, Father, you would use me as a vessel for your purposes this morning. I pray that as we, as we unpack these verses together, as we look at them, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to understand what you are doing. So, Father, we ask in your Holy Spirit to be present, ever present, and working amongst us this morning. And it is for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ who obeyed the will that you have for his life and for our lives. That we pray these things in his name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, we, uh, we have arrived this morning to really a passage here in the book of 1 Thessalonians that is, is really kind of a, a closing to the first section of this book. And uh, just kind of looking at it from a literary standpoint and, and reading through the book, what you would find is that this section here really begins to transition us to the second part of the book. And it's a summary today uh, of what Paul has already stated in the first chapter and the first part of the second chapter as well. So Paul is now penning really what is the, the climax of this testimony of his beloved and cherished children, his spiritual children at the church of Thessalonica. And in particular this morning, I'm going to ask you to pay close attention to the way that really he has weaved together a number of different things into these few sentences here. And I'm going to ask you also, don't take for granted what he has to say about everyone that's involved here as well. One of the things that uh, I think kind of is interesting in just reading this um, and understanding this after a week of studying it, and a little bit more than that, really, Paul has, has received the credit for having penned this book. Um, and, and we know, though, that this is the Word of God. 
Alliance has set the stage here for this incredible scene to be seen here in one paragraph. So uh, this morning what, I, what I'd like to do is to help us a little bit to kind of understand really who are the participants, first of all, in this, um, in this setting here. And so, uh, first of all, we have uh, a ministry team here of Paul, uh, we have Sylvanus, and we have Timothy. Uh, they're on the ministry team that, that's going around together. And if you remember, Sylvanus is, is also known as Silas in the scriptures. And so, uh, Silas had, had taken the place of Barnabas and uh, was traveling with Paul. And um, as we understand this here in this book, um, the, the plural pronouns are used repeatedly throughout here, the words us and we. And, and this is really a way in which to kind of show us that uh, although Paul is generally acknowledged as the author, all three men were of one accord with what was written. Secondly, we have God here, right? God is repeatedly mentioned here as the one who is in the middle of their relationship. Paul specifically points out the work of God, the Father. He, he points out the fact that God, the Father here, is the master planner. That Jesus Christ is the hope. And the Holy Spirit is at work here. And all you have to do is take a look back at, at chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and, and you can see these, these different times in which Paul points out and he says, here's what is going on. In particular, I, I would just tell you this, uh, to don't, don't sell God out in this story, alright, this short little paragraph, because what happens is I think sometimes as you read through this, you, you kind of rush through to see what is going on with the Thessalonians. But what I want you to understand is that everything that is happening here in this section really has to do with God being right in the center here. Um, the third entity, of course, is the Thessalonian church. Uh, they are central figures that God uses in this book to magnify His glory. Just think about that for a moment. He uses this group of people to magnify His glory. And, and that's something sometimes that we take for granted, isn't it? Like, we see other Christians sometimes and our first thought is just like, oh, yeah, you know what? They go to church, they're a Christian. But one of the things that strikes me about this is that Paul is using the Thessalonians here and propping them up in a way to say, look at God's glory here. And so I want you to think about them that way. That God is using them to magnify His glory. They are the recipients and the object of God's unceasing love and enduring faithfulness throughout this book. And boy, do they need it. They really do. The fourth participant in this summary, though, is the opposition. And uh, as has been noted over the last few weeks, and especially from Acts 17.8, they were the Jews who rejected the message from the Word of God. They became jealous. They went on to recruit evil men of the rabble and stirred up a mob of people to attack the new Christians. They also caused Paul and his ministry team 
They have to leave. Just, they had to get out of there. And here we have uh, the four participants that we're going to take a look at. And in one sense, the story here that we're going to take a look at is as much a contrast as it is just looking at the Thessalonians. And the contrast here that I would offer up to you is that um, we see the Thessalonian church here contrasted with those that have rejected the Word of God. Because what is central here is what the Word of God is doing. And what we're going to see is that as the Word of God is doing something in the lives of the Thessalonians, the church that is there, at the same time, we have a contrast of how the Word of God is affecting those who are in opposition to the church of God. They are in opposition to God. Now, uh, this book certainly uh, helps us to really understand that, you know, um, Paul is answering some questions here as well. We've seen that so far. And we're going to see that throughout the book. Uh, one of the questions is, you know, why Paul had not come back to see us? And, uh, of course, um, he wants to answer that question. We also know this, that um, the Thessalonians needed to learn how to live in light of Christ's return. Because times were tough. And um, what are we supposed to do? But it also underscores the topic of what else will happen to those who have rejected the gospel and have become their adversary. Because this is, this is right where they're at. And so this morning I would offer up to you that even for us here, that this is something that we need to think about for ourselves. Because there are times where we find ourselves with the opposition right in front of us. And dare I say that sometimes when we have the opposition right in front of us, it's easy to sort of back off and to just say, you know, let's not make any waves right here, right? Uh, I'll quietly go my way in the face of opposition. I'm going to go ahead and I'm just kind of, you know, quiet about who I am. And if anything, what, what kind of stands out about this in, in the book of Acts in chapter 17 is that when Paul was there and he faced opposition, uh, Paul was not back again. He said, fine, you don't want to hear it? I'll go somewhere else and I'll tell them about it. I will do my best to tell them, but then he moves on. And that's where the Thessalonian church then was perfect. You know, the, the implication of a message from this passage, though, is starting to me. And I want you to know that, you know, uh, there's a lot in this passage that really stirs my heart. Not only does it stir my heart, but in one sense, it really causes me to tremble. And, and this week, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking to myself, Yet, you've placed something here for me to have to talk about, which is your word. And as we look at this, you'll kind of be able to understand what I mean by this, but it's like, Lord, it's heavy to think about who the heroes are. Who is listening? And what needs to happen when I speak? 
And so um, I just want to let you know that um, I really pray that God will use it um, for the sanctification of our lives this morning. Um, so let me, uh, let me take you into our proposition um, for this morning here. And, uh, I'm give you guys the four that are there. Right? 
He had already been, you know, kicked out of a few cities. He had been um, stoned. He had been dragged out, left for dead. Um, and, and really, what, what happens here is that what he says to them is, you know, here is a supernatural, phenomenal, phenomenal act of God. What God is doing here is that he is allowing for these people here to receive the word of God and then to be able to accept it. Now, I think about it and I go, wow, uh, that's kind of my job this morning. <laughs> uh, I have to somehow give you the word of God here. And somehow it has to be translated from my mouth to your heart, to your understanding that here's the word of God that is coming to you. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to be able to make some observations here about a few things here that, that are going on. And um, I'm going to give you at least a couple a few things here to write down before I move into these observations. Um, we're going to be taking a look at really how God speaks here. How does this incredible thing happen where you hear the word of God and you, even though you're listening to my voice, you're saying, God is speaking to me. And then, then let's take it to the next place where Paul is at here. And what Paul is saying, imagine this, you're speaking to someone who is not a believer, who is not a Christian. And somehow you have to take the word of God and you have to be able to say, would you receive this? Would you accept it? Would you believe it? Think about when was the last time that you did that? When was the last time that you ventured out to take the word of God to someone directly with your words? And that, my friends, can be pretty scary, can't it? I'm going to give you six observations here to think about, about how this happens and what is going on. These are the implications behind this idea that God, God's word here is being received. So I'm going to just go ahead and put them all up here at once for you. The first one is that God has spoken. And, and I want you to consider it this way. They heard Paul, but it's God who was speaking, speaking directly to the Thessalonians. And, and I think about that and I go, these people are sinful. They have no context, many of them, for, for, for any of this. In fact, it tells us that they served idols, right? And so the only thing that they know is what an idol is, 
And somehow, and for some reason, God decides, I'm going to speak. I think about it from the perspective of there's a period of 400 years that we know at the end of, of the Old Testament going to the New Testament where God is silent and God doesn't speak. And then all of a sudden, God speaks. It's time for John the Baptist and it's time for his son, Jesus Christ, to be here. And what happens is that God speaks. So first, God has spoken. Second, God chose to speak in human words. You know, I, I, I really have no idea. If God were to speak audibly, where you could hear his voice, I don't think I could understand what he is saying. Just, he's God. I think he communicates at a much higher level than we as human beings. And so when God chooses to speak to us, he uses an audible voice here. He takes his words and he puts them into Paul, into Silas, into Timothy, and here they are, it is their turn to testify. Third, the Thessalonians heard the words of Paul. So they're listening. It tells us here in the text that they welcomed this message here. They wanted to hear it. And one of the things that kind of strikes me about this is that they're hearing the words of Paul as they are being spoken. They haven't pushed him out yet. Why? Because it's the word of God. And God, when he commands an audience, people listen. Fourth, while they were listening to these words, God acted on their minds and hearts as is evidenced by the testimony that is written here in verse 13. And, and, and I love this because I think to myself, this is how I prayed all week. God, you have to intervene. You have to be the one who speaks to the hearts and the minds of the people that you have called. And so what is happening here is that God begins to act on their minds and their hearts of the Thessalonians as evidenced by the testimony that is written here. They accepted it. That's working on them, right? They didn't reject it like the Jews had, right? The Jews had, had said, we don't want to hear this. Take your message with you and leave town. But we don't want to hear your message. In fact, it led them to become hostile towards them, violent towards them. But here, the Thessalonian church received it. They accepted it. They didn't decide to stone Paul and drag him out of the, the city. Instead, God acted on their minds and hearts to make them Christians. You and I cannot do that. 
We cannot make Christians. God can. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. And um, Jesus, in this passage here, has asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And uh, his disciples tell him, well, you know, people say you're such and such and you're this prophet, that prophet. And then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And it says that Simon Peter replied, of course, right? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, this is the work of God. To me, it's one of those things that I look at and I go, I'm so thankful that it is God who is at work. 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 speaks of this mystery of the word of God and how it is foolishness and weakness to those who do not understand it. And in fact, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is what God does. And just as God allowed Peter to see in a human person, a divine person, that is Jesus, we could say really that God allowed the Thessalonians to hear human words to really hear a divine word that came from God. And sometimes I think about this and I go, wow, God, you, you, you really have to do a lot, it seems like, to prepare me to be able to do this, to be the one that speaks. And I forget, no, it's it just God does the work. I think it's important for us to consider the depth, though, of what Paul constantly shares over and over again in the epistles. He says there is a really kind of a, a responsibility and a weight when one is used by God to be a vessel that God uses to speak his word. Paul called it weakness, fear, and trembling in 1 Corinthians 2 as he presented the gospel to the, to the Corinthians. It wasn't that he was really in the stage of like, I'm afraid of the, of the Corinthians. No, it was like, God, I don't want to get this message wrong. I don't want to get it right. In Ephesians 3, Paul tells of this ministry given to him to share the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Think about that for a moment this plan hidden in God for ages. And all of a sudden, it's here. And Paul, I'm sending you 
to deliver the secret hidden message. Go to the Gentiles. Here's what I've had planned all along. James 3.1, it says there, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's pretty heavy. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to be praying. Be praying for those who are going to bring the word to you, the word of God. There, there is a level of accountability that is there that is much higher. This is one of the reasons why we went to Bolivia. That's one of the reasons why we've gone to Ukraine. We want our brothers to know this. Listen, you have a lot on your shoulders. They're, these guys are pastors working full-time jobs and they're trying to care for the flock. They're trying to bring a message to their churches. And they have this heaviness, this weight of having to consider, God, help me to say the right things, to open your word and to minister it. I would ask that you would be praying for those of us that have this responsibility. In 1 Thessalonians here, he says, we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So when Paul says, you accepted it as the word of God, he is giving thanks to God for this supernatural thing that God has done. He doesn't take any credit. In fact, what he says is, God, you did it. Thank you, God. You did it. They have accepted it as the word of God, not as the word of men. Paul takes none of this for granted. He understands that it is God who must illuminate their understanding. The fifth thing on here is that the Thessalonians heard Paul's words as God's words. And they became believers. And the key here is that they were given faith. They became believers. They were given faith. Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how it comes. Doesn't come through the messenger. No, that's not coming. I'm not the one that can give faith and belief. But it comes from the word of God. And it was the word of God they heard that produced faith. And if they had heard the word of man, they would not have had faith. That's pretty simple, right? But it does say there that they were believers, doesn't it? Right at the end of that verse. And so we have to understand here that this was God producing faith in them. And sixth, the word of God was at work in the Thessalonians. The word of God was at work in them, 
And this is not just about their testimony of their good works. This is how the word works in believers. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It draws out conviction, in other words, and, and repentance comes. And, and it calls us then to die to our old ways. And what is birthed in us then is a desire to live according to the word of God. I look at this and I go, wow, all of this is going on. God is doing all of this in these people. The Thessalonians. Do you see why Paul is thankful? Because this is a work he cannot do. You know, within this story of how the Thessalonians became believers, every one of them probably had a unique story to tell, though. Just think about that. What I've given to you is a framework for how God works. It is what Scripture teaches to us about how someone does become a Christian. But what I want you to think about now is that there is a unique story that each one of the Thessalonian Christians could tell. And I would assume that all of us who believe and are Christians this morning have a unique story of how God's word saved you. I can remember that I was eight years old. And um, at eight years old, um, I remember that... um, I heard a man um, mention the fact that um, salvation was needed in my life. And I recall nothing about the message that morning other than what I can tell you that what God was doing in me. I was at church, eight years old. I grew up in a Christian family. And uh, I remember that I was convicted. I was standing there at the end of the service and going, uh, I really need to be saved. Something that morning God had used to begin to speak to me. Now, (laughs) I can remember it was a beautiful, sunny day. We went home from church, and all I could hear was the word of God. I'm an eight-year-old boy at the time. I should have been outside running around playing as was normal for me to do. My brother and I, we lived outside and just enjoyed doing everything we could to just have fun like that. I could not. I remember that (laughs) my parents must have been wondering if I was sick because I went to my room, laid on my bed, and all I could think was, I I need to be saved. I'm, I'm not a believer. And I know that if I'm not a believer, then 
I'm against God. And wow, I, I'm, I'm condemned. But I want to be saved. I don't want to remain in this state. And so God had purposed in me at that time to say, tonight is going to be the night that this must happen where I must be saved. Well, thank God we had Sunday night service. And uh, we went to church. I cannot tell you anything about what was preached that night. All I remember was I was thinking when the opportunity comes to be able to, to, be able to speak with my pastor about this, I'm going to be there. And it was at the end of that service that I recall that I had the opportunity to go and speak with my grandfather, our pastor. And he said to me, do you want to be saved? Uh-huh, I do. <laughs> and he said, here's what you must do. And I recall that at that time that I confessed my sins, I repented of my sins, and I believed that Jesus had died and rose again to take away my sins. And that it was by God's grace that he was calling me. And... Um, I want to tell you the truth. It was the greatest day of my life. I recall that, that I knew at that time that I believed and that I was saved. And I was eight years old, okay? And God has kept me ever since. Now, how does an eight-year-old know that he is truly a believer? It's because God does the work. And he knows it. He knows that God has done the work. Friends, you need to know this for your own life. You need to know how God has saved you. You need to know the movements in your own life where God has been, had pressed in on you. What was happening? What was God doing? Um, my children are probably thinking, Dad, this sounds really familiar to some time we had together recently. Um, I had purposed to meet with my kids individually this summer and just to kind of ask them the question, how were you saved? And I told them, I said, I don't want the generic story. I want you to share with me what were the movements that God made on you? What do you recall that God was doing? And you know, I gotta tell you the truth. It's not easy to always articulate these things, is it? There are probably some of you in this room right now that are saying, I can't recall everything. I just, I just know. I want you to know this, though. Gateway wants you to know. 
If you become a member at Gateway Bible Church, that's one of the questions that we do ask you to write about, to share your testimony about what God did. We want you to articulate that. We want for you to know God is at work through his word. Well, we're going to take a look at the second focus of this passage here, which is the work of the gospel. And uh, as we take a look at this, we're going to take a look at verses 14 through 16, the first part of 16. And it says here, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. You see, there are two things here that Paul points out about the Thessalonians. The first thing that he points out is that they had become imitators of the churches in Judea. And the second thing is that really this was evidenced by their suffering that we're going to take a look at here. And so as we, we kind of jump into this a little bit here, I want you to see here that Paul points out specifically that they became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Jesus had been crucified, and as Paul testifies, he himself was breathing out threats against Christians as he stood watch and gave consent to the stoning of Peter. Now, let's kind of put this picture together, okay? So here we have the churches in Judea, these churches that are there that are birthed after, um, after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension here. And they're meeting together the Christians. And um, while all of this is going on, there's persecution that is happening. And um, as I mentioned to you, I mean, the persecution, as it says here, even, you know, it starts with the fact that um, they're saying, hey, you know what, we're going to kill Jesus. We, they killed the prophets. And guess what? They're breathing out threats against the Christians. Paul says it of himself, that that's what he was doing. He was breathing out threats against them. He stood and watched, and he gave consent to the stoning of Peter. Or the stoning of Stephen, excuse me. The apostles on several occasions were, were hauled in and threatened. And eventually they were arrested and then beaten. They were told to be silent and not to speak the gospel. Here's the church. In the midst of all the persecution and suffering and the church thrived. Acts 9.31. Would you take a moment and just turn there in your Bibles. Turn to Acts 9.31. And um, I would ask you just to take a look at this with me and to see this is this is sort of like a break here. When you read this in, in the book of Acts, it looks like a break. It looks like all of a sudden you could sort of like 
drop your guard and relax a little bit. Here's what it says. After all this persecution that's going on there in the church in Judea. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. (laughs) What? How does that happen? We know. God's doing the work, right? I love the words that are there that it says that the church throughout all Judea, and now it says, and Galilee, and Samaria. Because what did Acts 1.8 say? The church was going to go out, right? And not only that, there's peace. How do you have peace through all of this? And yet, the Thessalonian church is being compared to the church in Judea that's going through this. Because we read it in Acts 17, we've seen the story, and you see it in 1 Thessalonians, that despite the persecution that is there against them, guess what? There are churches that are springing up, and they're taking the hope that they see from the Thessalonians and it's being poured into these other churches and they are being encouraged throughout the region of Macedonia. Not just in their own city. And then it says later on in, the, in 1 Thessalonians there, it says, but everywhere people are taking comfort from this. This is not what is supposed to happen, as I mentioned. Because in man's fallen intellect, he believes this. Man believes that if we harass and intimidate and we repress with physical tactics, then people will cave in and they'll give up. All you have to do is watch the news, right? We see it in our American political wars, don't we? Every single day. In fact, one of those stories was highlighted this week in the news. Go ahead and, and it, you know, they're, they're trying to empower people to say, harass them, intimidate them. We're going to win. That's a tactic of this world that is supposed to win, right? It, it, who is more dominant? Who is stronger here? And as, as this was happening politically, they're saying, you know, we just need to get more people active and into this. And if we do that, we will overcome. That's their mantra. But it does not work against God and his word. The Thessalonians were birthed in the midst of conflict and the church of God and Jesus Christ grew. And um, to me, when I think about this, I, I, I just, I, have, I feel like Paul and Silas and Timothy. Praise God for your testimony. So what specifically did the Thessalonians suffer, though? That's, that's the next question that we have to answer here. And the second half of verse 14 into the next two verses 
gives us a clue of what happened. They suffered at the hands of their own countrymen, just like the Christians in Judea suffered at the hands of the Jews. And what characterizes this type of persecution? Well, first this. The Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets also ended up driving out, of course, Paul and his ministry team out of Thessalonica. And um, what Paul points out here is that they are trying to even hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Just think about that for a moment. This persecution that says, you know what? We hate your gospel so much, your news that you have to say, the word of God that you say that you're talking about. We hate it so much that not only do we reject it, we don't want anybody else to hear it. That's pretty intense. So just think about this for a second. Imagine being the church in Thessalonica and you're a Thessalonian and you see your fellow countrymen and what they are doing to these nice people that have come in and have begun to share the word of God. What might you do? Would you be like, uh, maybe I don't want to stick around. Uh, maybe I don't really want to be associated with these guys. And yet, the word of God is working in the lives of these Thessalonian believers. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. It says, He, that is Jesus, or came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so here we have the Thessalonian believers who are the children of God. And God says, if you're my child, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll be with you. But rejection, of course, was not enough for the Jews. They wanted to prevent anyone from hearing about Jesus. Today, there's much persecution to this extent. It is not enough just to reject Jesus, obviously. And we know that there is a growing animosity to prevent the gospel altogether from going out. It's here. It's in our, in our very state, in our very region where we live question, how will you prepare for that? What will you do? If you listen to the words of man, you will not be prepared. You need the word of God. I need the word of God. There's a tremendous amount of endurance that these Thessalonians showed us here. In, in this passage, it shows us that they not only endured, but they learned to live peaceably and they lived with joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just an incredible demonstration of what the Word of God does in a person's heart. Well, we're going to move on to our last section here, the rejection of the gospel. And um, as we look at this, there's, there's a rejection of the gospel here because the measure of their sins, as it states here, 
was full. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes think about this in the sense of, a, I think to, you know, like, what does it mean that it is full? Well, think about it this way. Could they sin any more against God? They rejected Jesus. They killed him and the prophets. They're saying no to the word of God. What else could they do? And so literally at this point, what we have is a people whose sins have gotten to that point where God says, that's it. Um, I'm going to just take a moment to turn to Genesis chapter 15 and um, read to you what it says in verse 16. And um, this is where God is speaking to Abraham and um, he's telling him what's going to happen. And so uh, starting in verse uh, 14, he says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. This is about what will happen to his descendants. You shall be buried at a good old age. Verse 16, and they shall come back here, that is, Abraham's descendants, here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know what that tells us is that God is merciful. God is willing to wait and to say, you know what, I'm going to give you opportunity here before I act. These Jews at that time had filled it all up and their time was done. And so it leads really right into the next statement that is there. And that next statement that we take a look at is that their fate is sealed here. You see, the wrath of God that he talks about at the end here, but the wrath, but wrath has come upon them at last, is the same wrath that is mentioned in two other places in this same book. In chapter 1, verse 10, in chapter 5, verse 9, it is consistent in pointing to the punishment of hell. They had rejected every interaction to the word of God and their sins were such that now their fate was sealed. And and you know what? This is not a cheering moment. It isn't. In, In the book of Romans, here's what Paul says. Chapter nine, verses one through five. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who are those people? The Jews. He is willing that his own life be lost for the sake of the Jews. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, 
is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And here Paul is saying, yeah, there's nothing else to be done for these people. And yet you Thessalonians, facing all of this, you have heard the word of God. Well, let me finish with just some concluding thoughts here for you to think about today. First of all, I guess they're not all up here. I'll give them to you though and you can write these down. The first one is read and listen to the word of God daily and let God speak to you. Read and listen to the word of God daily and let God speak to you. Sometimes we just get too busy to even listen to God, don't we? Get up a little bit late and you got to go to work, right? And everything for the rest of the day just kind of falls behind. Or just, how about this? I'm not really getting anything out of my reading. You have the word of God there. Listen. Listen to God speak. Second, Pray that the work of the gospel in yourself and gateway would continue to be like the Thessalonians. Pray that the work of the gospel in you and gateway would continue to be like the Thessalonians. They were known for the work that they were doing. You know how amazing their work was? These people were not rich. They were going through persecution. They were not known as wealthy. But hey, when, when the church in Judea needed a collection to take place, these guys are mentioned as having done that joyfully. We are going to give. And we're going to do it with joy. They suffered and they did it with joy because of the Holy Spirit. Third, pray for endurance in the face of persecution and suffering. Pray for endurance in the face of persecution and suffering. I would add to that, stay the course of being faithful. Remain faithful. I, I got, I'm going to be honest with you. We, we have a lot of things that are kind of coming towards us and politically speaking, and we don't like them as Christians. And our reaction is not always to remain faithful to God first, is it? Like, what do we need to do? Let me add one last thing here for you to think about. Pray for joy. Pray for joy in your walk with the Lord. As you hear him speak through his word to you, as you make your way into the services here, 
as you face those who hate God and his word, pray for joy. Be characterized that way. Father, we come before you this morning seeing that you do a mighty work, one that cannot be replicated in any way by our human efforts. And for that, we give you all the praise. We continuously, without stopping in an unceasing manner, need to be able to praise you just as Paul and Silas and Timothy gave great praise for what you had done in the Thessalonians. Father, I tell you, I give great praise even for what you have done here at Gateway Bible Church because you have chosen to allow for the word of God to be spoken here and for us to be acted upon by your spirit and to be able to do things that are, are not natural. They are supernatural. To have an impact here in people's lives and globally as well. You deserve all the praise, God. And so we ask that you would help us to live with joy, even in the face, even when facing hard times. In Jesus' name, amen.